May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we mentioned at the beginning of our gathering, we are gathered here today in somber reflection of the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are here to remember the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. But we're also here to remember that this was an act of incredible love on our behalf, as well as to remember that it was an act of incredible grace, grace from our Father in heaven, and that this was all a part of his will, his preordained plan, the plan he had prophesied throughout Scripture. Today is a day that uh, many of us observe every year, and I was uh, joking with some of our music team that, that some of you have done so so many times I could come up, stand up and say, you know it, and, and just sit down, and, and that might even be sufficient, but, but that's not what we're here to do. We are here to remember and to reflect. Last night was Monday Thursday, where we reflected on the events of the week leading up to Good Friday as they are reported in Scripture, the events that brought Jesus from his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane the following Thursday, just four days later. And we recalled last night how on the night before Jesus died, after sharing the Passover meal with his disciples, he gave his disciples a commandment to love one another just as he has loved us. And he offered an example of how to fulfill this command, how to love one another by humbling himself to the status of a servant and washing the disciples' feet. We also recalled how he instituted and commanded us to continue a perpetual memory, memorial, of what was to come. Jesus and his disciples then went out into the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, where Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends, his disciple Judas, and abandoned by all the rest. He was arrested and taken and handed over to the chief priests and the Sanhedrin who had been nattering behind the scenes. They'd been circulating false testimony against Jesus and conspiring against him under cloaks of secrecy. And they then called for these secret trials in the dead of night that went into the early hours of the morning of Good Friday. A full account of these events is given in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 18 and 19, from which we heard David read this morning. 
And as we heard, after being tried by the Jewish leaders, Jesus was taken to face a criminal trial in the palace of the Roman governor, a man named Pontius Pilate. And Pilate was confused as he was unable to find any real fault, any guilt in Jesus. But the Jewish leaders in the crowd that had gathered could not be swayed. Again, last week we observed how just a few days before Jesus had triumphantly entered Jerusalem, he'd been greeted as the prophesied Messiah, as a king that would free Israel from Roman oppression, as they thought. Or perhaps because they were angry that he hadn't done any of that. Perhaps they were moved and compelled by these Jewish leaders, or perhaps just because human nature is a treacherous thing. Perhaps because when an angry mob gets together with a bloodlust, it's hard to settle them. Pilate heard the cry, the crowd cry, crucify him. And so in order to avoid any further civil unrest, after he had Jesus severely beaten, flogged, and mocked, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Usually prisoners carried their own cross to a place of execution. It was usually the cross beam. This public humiliation of this journey was part of the punishment. And John asserts in our gospel reading that Jesus at least began bearing his own cross. The gospel of Mark, though, also shares how the soldiers compelled a passerby Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross. Simon was put into service when Jesus faltered because of the physical toil of carrying this beam, because of the toil of the torture and the beatings he'd suffered. Prisoners were known to die from the blood loss from the flogging before even getting to be crucified. They brought Jesus to the place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, or in Latin it's called Calvaria. That's the reason this location is known as Calvary. There they crucified him with two other soldiers, two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Our reading from John doesn't offer very much explanation, very many details about what happened because none are necessary. John's readers would have known full well the the horrors of this event. Crucifixion was the worst punishment, reserved only for the worst criminals. And Jesus was executed as a criminal with two other criminals, most likely other suspected rebels or revolutionaries or insurrectionists. And Jesus was nailed to the beam and hung, so that after hours of excruciating pain, he would eventually suffocate and die. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Whether this was an act of defiance towards the Jewish authorities for putting him in a situation he found disagreeable, And John reports how the chief priests did protest to Pilate about making this kind of public declaration about Jesus. 
whether it was a declaration that any hint of insurrection would be squashed by the Roman authority, or whether this is an act of mockery towards Jesus. The inscription was intended to be ironic, and it is, because we now know that those who posted it had no idea how true it was. John continues to share how the soldiers divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. John is sure to share that by doing this, the soldiers were unwittingly fulfilling prophecy from Psalm 22, which states, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And this is the same prophetic psalm that Luke reports Jesus as quoting while on the cross. Every step of the way on this difficult journey, we see affirmation of God's will being done. John states that this happened, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So this is what the soldiers did. And through this, it's made clear to us that it's not the soldiers, it's not the Jewish authorities, it's not Pilate, it's not Rome, or the agents of Jesus' death. Again, everything that happened was all a part of God's will, of God's prophesied plan. Jesus was on the cross for six agonizing hours. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Hyssop was a branch used to spread the blood of the Passover lamb over the doorposts. So we see that even in this hour of unspeakable agony on the edge of death, Jesus is aware of his mission. He's aware that he is fulfilling God's prophecy, God's plan. When he received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The Gospel according to Mark reports that Jesus died at noon on Friday. Many of us know that this is not the end of the story. And yet as we gather here today to reflect on the death of Jesus, we can't help but feel a sense of pain and loss and sadness of that moment. But those present, those who haven't had the benefit of 2,000 years of Good Friday services, the significance of their mo the moment might have been lost a bit, but their hearts were still broken as the one they thought would liberate them from their oppressors, the one they thought would truly be the savior of the world, dies at the hand of the Romans. And though we had predicted numerous times that these things would happen, though he told them he would suffer many things and rise again three days later, how could they have known what it all meant? 
John goes on to explain that the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. So they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Death by crucifixion was meant to be death by slow, excruciating suffocation. As the body became exhausted, those crucified would be unable to hold themselves up. They would collapse and they would be unable to breathe properly until they died. So breaking the legs sped up this process. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, just to be certain he was dead, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water, confirming that he was. But John goes on to explain that these things happened again, so that scripture would be fulfilled. As we read in Psalm 34, 20, not one of his bones will be broken. And as the prophet Zechariah foretold, they will look on the one they have pierced. And this is why when we receive communion, in remembrance of this, we do so with the words, the body of Christ given for you, not broken for you, as not a bone was broken. The bread was broken, but not the body. Jesus' life was not taken from him. He gave himself for you. Wrote John's report of the passion of the Christ, John repeats this same phrase four times. These things happened that scripture might be fulfilled. It's all a part of Jesus' plans. And today we are gathered to remember, to reflect on what that plan entailed. Again, to those who were there on that day who did not have the benefit of 2,000 years of Good Friday services, they weren't able to understand the significance of what was happening, of what it all meant. But Jesus knew. He knew that his death on the cross wasn't an unfortunate accident. It wasn't an unavoidable tragedy. His death was a deliberate act of love in obedience to the will of God the Father in accordance with his plan as he had already laid it out in the scriptures. Jesus himself said in John 10 verse 18, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. And so today we remind ourselves that Jesus was the one initiating everything. Everything that happened was in accordance to his mission as the Messiah to fulfill God's plan for the world, for us. Jesus wasn't a victim. He was the agent of, the all, of it all. It's a sacrifice he made of his own accord. It's a sacrifice that we can never repay, but one that we can respond to with gratitude, with worship, and with devotion by following him, by offering our lives as a living sacrifice in his service.
Pope Francis wrote just a few days ago that the logic of the cross is not primarily that of suffering and death, but rather that of love and of the gift of self that brings life. But today, as we reflect on Jesus' ultimate example of sacrificial love, we see that it's not about selflessness. Through Jesus, we see that sacrificial love doesn't mean giving up our own importance. It doesn't mean lowering our value. It means realizing how important we are and offering that to others. The crucifixion of Jesus is a difficult and painful event to contemplate. It was a brutal form of execution reserved for the worst criminals, but Jesus endured it willingly. He was betrayed, abandoned, unjustly condemned. He didn't retaliate, he didn't take revenge. Instead, he prayed for his enemies and offered them forgiveness, even in his dying moments. This was all according to God's will, to God's plan, and it was for a purpose. Jesus did all of this so that all who believe in him might receive forgiveness of our sins and be reconciled to God, our Father in heaven. And this is why, though the cross is a symbol of suffering and death, it's also a symbol of hope and redemption. And having the benefit of 2,000 years of understanding this good news of what Jesus has done for us, we also have the benefit, the incredible benefit, of knowing that the cross isn't the end of the story. That it's the beginning of a new chapter, an incredible new chapter in God's redemptive plan for the world. And this is why, though we have gathered together in somber remembrance and reflection, we know that we will gather again on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, in joy and celebration, as we remember this incredible gift given to us and the resurrection of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and his victory over death, suffering, and sin. Let's pray. Almighty God, we confess that we have sinned against you and against one another. We ask you to Behold this, your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners to suffer death upon the cross in our place so that we might receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for the gift that he willingly gave to us and for the forgiveness and reconciliation that you offer us through it. 
would you help us to respond with gratitude, with worship, and devotion? Would you help us to live our lives in a way that honors this sacrifice and proclaim your love, your grace to the world? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Truly, Lord.